Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. A year ago, we launched Trending News, a monthly summary of newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. As London's Dynamic team and Trending Health audience have grown, so has the appetite to hear about those stories directly impacting the UK and EU healthcare markets. I'm happy to announce the launch of Trending News EU, a monthly news roundup targeted to UK-based listeners hosted by Dynamic London's Jack Young and Oliver White. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Mindy. Delighted to be here. And welcome, Oliver. Hello, everyone, and thanks for having me. So let's dive in. Jack, there have been numerous headlines that we could be talking about right now, and I'm curious about which ones that you've been following lately. So Mindy, a story that I read just this morning relates to an experimental rectal cancer drug that caused all patients' tumors to disappear. It was a small trial involving just 12 rectal cancer patients, but all cancer patients receiving this drug called Astalimab, which is a monoclonal antibody, all had complete remission and none of them experienced significant side effects from the treatment, which I thought was really amazing and groundbreaking. It's too early to say whether the patients will all remain in remission or if it will work for other types of rectal cancer. This one in particular was related to mismatch repair deficient rectal cancer, but the results are cause for great optimism. Yeah, it's really incredible to think about this being possibly a pretty giant leap in the right direction to addressing even this type of specific cancer. So just keeping an eye on this and waiting to see how the trial expands and how much more information they can find on the effectiveness of this molecule will be really interesting. I just wanted to ask, is this a completely new class of cancer treatment or is this something that we've seen before that's been applied in a different way? And what does that do for the outlook on whether this is a complete coincidence, particularly given the small sample size, or is this something people are hopeful will be repeatable? Well, it is an existing class of treatment, the monoclonal antibody, and, and dostalumab is actually indicated for endometrial cancer, of which it's gone through many different trials, and it's been effective in that case. And there are several other drugs that have a similar mode of action. But I do think this trial is really groundbreaking in terms of the amount of response and optimism that's come as a result of it, and particularly for rectal cancer patients where they don't have a huge array of treatment options. So it'll be very interesting to see how this expands going forward. And where will the results of this trial be published? How can we keep a track of this situation as it develops? They were published on June 5th in the New England Journal of Medicine. I will definitely be keeping a close eye on this. For sure. I mean, it is definitely an interesting topic that, that we need to keep an eye on and watch as it progresses through the clinical trial gates. As we think about other headlines that we're paying attention to, Oliver, talk to me a little bit about what you have been reading up on or just thinking about in terms of headline news as it relates to things going on with the NHS. Well, Mindy, I am so very excited to finally be able to say 
that the Health and Social Care Act has now passed through our parliamentary process and I believe on the 28th of April received its royal assent. This is the biggest restructuring of the NHS since the Lansley reforms of 2012 and effectively takes our existing structure of a national health service then divided into seven regions and formally in excess of 300 NHS trusts and clinical commissioning groups underneath that into 42 integrated care systems and only about 220 NHS trusts. This is the most recent step in a long trend of centralizing quite large areas of control, which has been demonstrated more recently in the absorbing of organizations such as NHS Digital and NHS X, even Health Education England into NHS England and NHS Improvement. So how does this change impact the regional structures within the NHS? That is the question on everyone's lips, Jack. The regional teams are long-standing and, and have been necessary but I think most people from within the health service would tell you that for the ICSs to really flourish and to fulfill their intended purpose, they need to be devolved authority and be given the oversight necessary to properly manage the trusts within their systems. This is significant change, right? And my question for you is, what do you think the greatest challenge is going to be in basically restructuring all of these entities in the way that they've been set up now? Like what types of change need to happen? And what do you think the greatest challenges will be knowing that July 1st is right around the corner? The biggest challenge will be defining an effective path that happens in a reasonable time scale to operationalize this new structure and particularly how it interacts with NHS providers in the system below it and the regional teams above it. There are still a number of question marks with regards to how some of the biggest challenges facing the NHS are addressed as part of this restructuring, such as the social care deficit that we have that is causing so much exit block from our hospitals. Likewise, we know that the ambition is for financial performance to be managed at a system level, but it will be difficult for the systems not to return to holding individual organizations to account for their specific bottom line. Jack, I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think are the opportunities for some of these changes that are being made? Well, Mindy, I think this provides a great opportunity to help reduce and optimize costs within the NHS. It's a bit of a behemoth, like a huge organization that has a lot of challenges. And hopefully with this restructure will help organize it in a more efficient way to help improve patient outcomes. And I think it'll be a huge step change. There's a lot of talk in the news about the NHS and the budgets that it has and that continue to go year on year increasingly high. And I think this change has been a long time coming, and I think it will really help benefit the patient experience, increase cost effectiveness, improve collaboration, 
forge new partnerships in, in other areas, and it will help digital innovation across a number of different areas. I would just like to add to all of those absolutely stellar points that Jack just mentioned. I am particularly excited to see what the creation of ICSs does for the NHS's people plan and what workforce developments are born out of these new ways of working. There is such a large challenge ahead of the NHS when it comes to workforce. You can see day after day on whatever news outlets you might go to that we have increasing vacancies, have difficulty recruiting and are increasingly reliant on bringing in clinicians from overseas, which of course has its own challenges and may eventually create deficits elsewhere globally. The opportunity for clinicians and carers to work across organizations and to work across geographies in new and ever more innovative ways is something that I am incredibly excited about. And I can't wait to see where this takes us with respect to workforce over the next few years. It's pretty incredible, as you were just talking about workforce, Oliver. I think about access being such a challenge globally for almost all health systems. And the workforce challenge is having epic consequences, right, for most health systems. This is not only an issue with the UK. It's an issue with most healthcare systems globally, is that we just have a shortage of workforce given the amount of demand that is in the marketplace for care. So hopefully this maybe sets the tone or, or establishes some sort of solution that other healthcare systems may be able to learn from because it's not going away anytime soon. So thanks for pointing that one out because I, I definitely think it's a topic that's worthy of ongoing conversation and ongoing attention. In speaking about access, Jack, there's another headline I know you mentioned that you'd love to address, and that's around the NHS patients missing out on new medicines that could extend lives. So tell me, what are your thoughts on this headline news? Yeah, Mindy, this one's really close to my heart in particular. It was data released by PwC for the Association of British Pharmaceutical Industry, the ABPI, which showed that 1.2 million additional NHS patients are currently eligible for vital medicines, but they're missing out. And for those of you that are listening that are familiar with the UK geography, that is greater than the combined populations of Glasgow, Swansea, and Sunderland. And the research reveals how improved use of 13 medicines across four key treatment areas can transform patient care while adding 5 billion to the UK economy through increased productivity over the patient's lifetimes. And these drugs will have a huge impact on patients' quality of life. So it's really quite sad to see that patients are missing out on these medications to help improve their outcomes. And it really hit home to me as well, because throughout the pandemic, patients have been really struggling to go into the hospital as it relates to the hospital perhaps being overrun or not doing their screening for cancer, going undiagnosed. This is just another data point to suggest that patients aren't getting the treatment they deserve, and I think it urgently needs addressing. And the report, if you're interested in finding it for those listening, is called Transforming Lives, Raising Productivity. And it highlighted three main challenges to address and improve patient outcomes. And these include improving range of access, improving the speed of access, 
and improving the rate of uptake. Clearly, this is an emotive subject, Jack. And I was looking on the BBC Health website only today where I read that England has just introduced the Innovative Medicines Fund. This fund is £680 million a year total, which allows for NHS patients to apply in certain circumstances for drugs that have not fully passed through the regular approval process to treat whatever ailments they, they might be suffering with. What is your impression of such a scheme? Are you familiar with other examples elsewhere? And do you think that this could have a positive impact on some of those rather worrying figures that you just described? Well, I really was excited to read that news, Oliver, as well, in terms of initiatives to help patients get medicines they deserve. There are some initiatives that pharmaceutical companies run to get access to patients. They're quite small and, you know, typically only reach sort of 100, 200 patients within the drug. So this one, which seems much more broad with a good amount of funding, should really help get patients the treatments they need and deserve. And I think a broader piece that I'm quite passionate about as well is the disparities that exist, not just in the UK, but across Europe as a whole in terms of how patients get access to drugs. It varies significantly. It can be around 300 days in Germany. It can take up to two and a half years in Romania. And I also read a story recently in terms of a number of pharmaceutical companies have pledged to reduce the time from market authorization to getting a drug on the market. And that initiative as well should really help get patients access to drugs in a timely manner. And I think the COVID pandemic has shown everyone that it can be done when everyone gets a seat at the table and pulls together as one to make sure patients get access to treatments. This really does seem to be the never-ending challenge, particularly when you live in a country that has a national health service like ours. And that challenge is that getting the balance right between what is effective use of taxpayers' money and are we deriving value and are we helping as many people as we can and ultimately doing everything we can for individuals who are sick as we would want and hope happens for our family members. I think that might be a balance that we continue and always have to strive to get right but I'm certainly glad that progress has been made in these specific areas. And one point I would add to this is when you think about access to either care or medicines being such a significant issue, I think about the downstream impact of that. So we're just putting more pressure on our healthcare systems, right? Because people need more care as they get sicker. And if they can't get access to the right type of care, at the right time with the right therapies, think about how things get exacerbated with either the diseases that they're dealing with, illnesses, the injuries, and what type of pressure that puts then on utilization of care. And so it's been interesting that these are two topics that we've talked about in this particular episode, but I see this being a theme that kind of continues 
globally with, with healthcare systems is that trying to find that balance, Oliver, that you just talked about, that it's almost a never ending effort to try to figure out what the right balance is to ensure that patients are being placed at the center of the healthcare system versus where they are now, which is oftentimes on the outside trying to fight for their opportunity to either seek access to care or seek access to medicines. So thanks for weighing in on both of these articles because I think they are definitely headline worthy and bring up some really fascinating topics that we need to keep talking about and and exploring more in depth. As always, we know that the only constant in the healthcare industry is change. So I can't wait to hear what we are talking about next month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.